We truly are in uh, better hands uh, when we are and always are through faith in the hands of our God. Again, uh, good morning um, to you. If uh, you're a guest with us, um, I always like to point out that uh, in your service folder, you'll find a yellow or gold insert, and you are very much welcome to pull that out and to use that as kind of a guide as we uh, study God's word together today. Now, this can be a good thing or a bad thing, but the reality is, is that once you have a habit in your life, it's really hard to break those habits. Um, I was reading an article recently about a guy who traveled around the world for 10 years and spent time living in about five different countries over those 10 years. And he found that as he lived in certain places in the world, there were certain habits that he learned and that he then had a hard time breaking and that caused problems in part when he moved to another country. Um, as an example, one of the places he lived for a few years was the country of Brazil. And one of the things he wrote in this article that I didn't know is that Brazilians are, are some of the, the most um, hygiene-conscious people in the world. And that, I'm pro-personal hygiene, so I like Brazilians. That's, that's a good thing to be conscious of personal hygiene. But the problem is in Brazil is that it's really hot and really humid. So Brazilians it is common to take two or three showers every single day. And not only that, one of the habits of a Brazilian is that when a guest comes to their home, they would say, hey, Kyle, um, good to see you. Do you, uh, do you need to take a shower? That one of the greetings when Brazilians come to a person's house is to get in the habit of asking them if they need a shower. Now, this worked out well while he lived in Brazil, but when he forgot to break his habit in the United States, and I would say that to Kyle coming to my house, he'd think, what's the deal? Do I smell? Do I, I mean, why is he asking me to go take a shower? Um, he lived in Taiwan for a while, and uh, some of you know this. In fact, I've, I've gotten stories from a few of you here uh, at service this morning about this same exact thing. But the Far East culture, Taiwanese, they, they really um, value respect and honor. So if someone in Taiwan gives you their, or someone in the United States gives you their business card, you kind of take it, you put it in your pocket, right? But the habit in Taiwan is that when someone gives you their, their uh, business card, you take it with two hands and you hold it as if it was some priceless crystal. And, and you look it over and you examine it. You dare not just quick put it in your pocket. And you show respect and honor by <laughs> looking at this business card as if it was some priceless artwork, okay? Again, a habit that served him well in Taiwan. But if you did that with my business card, I would think you are a little bit, yeah, yeah, Murray did this. A little strange, a little weird. And so habits, for better or for worse, can be hard to break, they were for this guy, bad ones, I suppose, uh, habits that are good, that are hard to break, that's a good thing. For instance, if you have the, the habit of flossing every day, I don't have that habit, I need to get it, I don't do it every day, that can be good. To, if you have the habit of when you receive your paycheck that 10% goes to the Lord, 10% goes to savings, and you live off the rest, that's a good habit. That's a biblical habit to get into. 
Um, another habit could be exercising every day. There's, there's good habits that if we could just sort of weave them into the fabric of our lives, it will be a blessing every single day because habits are hard to break. Well, do you have good habits or bad habits? If you're anything like me, you have both. Today, what God wants to do for us, as he did for the Israelites 3,500 years ago, is he wants to help us get a habit ingrained in our lives. And in fact, because habits are hard to make and are hard to break, he might be in your difficulty right now, he might actually be working in you in a daily way a habit, that this habit that he wants you to have. So, Moses, he's a, a man who lived 3,500 years ago, and he was called by God to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt to the freedom that God wanted them to have in a land called the Promised Land, in the land that he had promised them. And God made his presence and his blessing upon the Israelites um, very obvious. A couple weeks ago, um, we looked at how Israel was leaving Egypt, and they were kind of cornered. And some of you were here this week, that week. Some of you were not. The Egyptians were coming um, at them. The Red Sea was behind them. And God made his presence known. For an entire night, he had the winds blow the waters of the Red Sea so that not just that they blew away, but that they actually did this miraculous thing that they blew apart so that there was a wall of water to the right which looked like it was held up by a dam, but there was no dam, and then a wall of water to the left which looked like there was this dam of water, but there wasn't a dam, it was just water, God in essence holding it apart. And the Israelites were able to walk through the middle of that section of the Red Sea. And in one fell swoop, the Israelites escaped and the Egyptians were destroyed. I've often wondered what it would have been like walking through the Red Sea with this immense amount of water to each side. I mean, that had to be a faith strengthening experience for the Israelites. And right after this happened, the whole next chapter of Exodus, chapter 15, is a song recorded for us that the Israelites and Moses sang to praise God for this awesome thing that he had done. You know, someday songs just come more easily. Praise to God comes more easily. <laughs> that was one of those days for the Israelites. They just had been saved. Now, in the very next chapter, the one that we're going to be in, we're one month since the Red Sea parted. So 30 days, four weeks after um, that huge escape and that miracle of God. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that once the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, it wasn't as if, ah, now we're in the promised land, okay? On the other side of the Red Sea was, as I talked with the kids, a hot, arid, lifeless desert. This was not a vacation for the Israelites. 
And sometimes I think we downplay how challenging it was for the Israelites. They literally did not know where their next meal would be coming from. They were not just like hungry, like you missed lunch, okay? <laughs> That's how we think of hungry in America because we're so blessed. They were hungry as in they hadn't eaten for a while, okay? And so this was a very challenging time for the Israelites. But at the very same time, you have to couple or balance that challenge with the fact that the God who had moved a sea was with them. And so they had that going for them too, which was obviously much more powerful, God was, than what their starvation or their lack of food was. And so we pick it up in chapter 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin. And that's not a reference to like... Um, the desert of doing bad things. This is a Hebrew word. Um, it just happens to correspond with the word we know in English, sin. So the desert of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, it was on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. They left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, to Moses and Aaron. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, Moses, Aaron, God, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, as I mentioned, the Israelites certainly were not living a uh, po living at some posh desert resort, okay? This was a very challenging time for them, and they were really hungry. They weren't sure where their next meal would come from. But at the same time, this was only one month after the God who loved them had moved an entire sea to save them. And in the Israelites' reaction to this challenging time, we see a habit that had grown probably through their years of slavery in them. It was a sinful habit. Their habit was this. When difficulty came, when challenges came, they grumbled and complained against God. Their natural sinful habit was that when challenges came into their life, the, the, the habit that was very hard for them to break, it, was, it started while they were slaves, but they weren't slaves anymore. Their habit was when challenges and difficulties came, they grumbled and complained against God. And in fact, over this, the next years as they're, they're traveling through the desert, we see this habit coming up over and over again. In fact, some of the, the words here about how if we only had died in Egypt and there it was so good, these words almost verbatim come up five, six, seven times through the words of Exodus. You read them and you're like, didn't I just read that? Yes, you did. But they were in that habit again of when challenges came, they grumbled and complained against God. Now, 
Can you relate to that? Do we ever fall into that habit? You know, you know what the truth is? The truth is that it is so much easier to see this bad trait in someone else like the Israelite than it is to see it in ourselves because we have reasons for our complaining. But when we look at someone else like the Israelites, you think, you know what? How dumb are these people? They're delusional. They were slaves in Egypt. Slave masters were beating their relatives to death or to an inch of their death, and yet they're wanting to go back there? How dumb. Don't they realize that God just saved them a month ago? Don't you realize that God has gotten you through difficulties and challenges of the past? And yet still, the habit of the Israelites is very similar to the habit that I have and maybe the habit that you have. That at times, maybe not all the time, but at times when challenges come that seem to be out of your control, our habit is to grumble and complain against God. And while I can understand that, because I live that sinful life too sometimes. What I can't understand is what God did next. In fact, here's something I've learned as I've grown, is that the more I read about God's grace, the less I understand it. The more I read and see God's love in the Bible, in my own personal life, the less I understand how he could be that patient, that loving towards me. And that's exactly what God does here. You see, if, if I were God and I just moved a sea, and made it look like there was a dam, but there really wasn't because I was holding the waters apart so that my people could be free. If I had just done that, and then four weeks later, they grumble and complain to me, I would have said, hey, all right, you want to go back to Egypt? Let's go. Open the sea up, push them back through, fine. That's what I would have done probably. But that's not the kind of God that we have. Listen to what he does, verses Four and five. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them. We're going to come back to this and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days because the seventh day is the Sabbath day and God didn't want them to work on the Sabbath, so they collected enough for two days on Friday, on the sixth day. And the exact way that this happened is explained more for us later in chapter 15. See on the screen. 
in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes, like I shared with the kids, and some of them didn't want to touch them, (laughs) thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. Moses said to them, It, this, is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And for the next 40 years, the next 40 years, every morning, God, in his grace, to grumbling, complaining people, gave them flakes of bread on the ground in a very, this very miraculous way. Every day for the next 40 years, there was enough food on the ground to feed how many people? Anyone remember from the past weeks? Two million people. That's a lot of bread. Every single day that the Lord provided for his people through this amazing miracle. And they didn't know what to call it, so they just called it, what is it, which translated as manna. Now, let's play this out for a moment in a different way. If, if God did a miracle here, couldn't he have just gone all the way with the miracle and kind of cut out this whole gathering process? I mean, if God can do anything, if he can do miracles, couldn't he have just put the food right in their stomach? You know, like, so you wake up, kind of hungry. Ooh, there it is. (laughs) I'm full. Could he have done that? Yes. Why didn't he do that? We read earlier, it was, there was a reason behind it. There is a, a test behind it. There was something God wanted to teach them. Um, we started this message talking about habits that they don't start or come overnight. That a habit doesn't happen when you exercise for a week. Okay? If you exercise for a year, now you're starting to get a habit, right? A habit sometimes takes a long time and a long process. What were the Israelites' habit? Difficulty comes. They complain and grumble against God. God blesses them. They forget about God. Trouble comes. They complain and grumble. Oh, I need to go back to Egypt. God blesses them. They forget about God. You know, what, you know what the Israelites loved? They loved the things God gave them more than they loved their relationship with God. The Israelites loved the things they could get from God when they were in trouble more than they just loved God. And that's why when they finally got what they wanted, they forgot about them. So God could have just put the food right in their stomachs. But he forced them to go out and to gather the food. How often? 
So some of the Israelites tested God on this. If you read all of chapter 16, and they collected enough for like a week, the very next morning, filled with, the Bible translates it, and I wasn't going to use this word, but I will, maggots, and started to smell, it says. God had rules around the gathering of this food because he wanted it to be something that they were forced to do every single day. Why? Listen to Deuteronomy 8. He humbled you, God did. Moses is writing this to the people, causing you, Israelites, to hunger and then feeding you with what is it, manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Here's why he didn't just zap it in their stomachs. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This miracle, it wasn't just about feeding their stomachs. It was about breaking bad habits, which, as we keep reading through Exodus, weren't broken totally, but helping to break bad habits and to begin a new one. That every morning they were forced to acknowledge their need for God as they were forced to go out and to collect that food, not for a week, but just for that day. And every day understand a daily habit of their need for a relationship with the God who gave them what they needed, that food for that day. To recognize their need for God and his word. Fast forward 3,500 years, that's today. And as far as I know, none of us are wandering in a desert wilderness, but some of us feel like we're in a wilderness. It's some sort of spiritual challenge that we're wandering around in or an emotional challenge or wilderness, a physical wilderness that, that we're facing. And our habit has been that when challenges come, we grumble and complain to God. And that trait is because it's part of sin, is probably going to continue to pop up. And part of the reason it pops up is because you know that God, your God, is the one who can move the Red Sea. Part of the reason why you grumble and complain to God is because you know that with a snap of his almighty finger, he could take away that which you're struggling with. So as it is out of your hands, we complain to the one who could take it away. But did you ever think that maybe the reason he's not taking it away is because for now, for this time, he's helping you, strengthening you to put as a part of the fabric of your life a habit of just how much on a daily basis you need him. You see, God gave us a relationship with him as a gift through his son, Jesus. And he calls us his children, and he treats us like a loving father would treat his children. Although, like, 
so much better than any father you could imagine, than any father experience that there is in this room. God the Father treats you better than that. And as he establishes that relationship, the thing that he wants more than anything, more than anything in this world, is that you and I continue to grow in a closer relationship with him. To realize, as you'll see here on the screen, that my greatest daily need isn't the things that I get from God, but my greatest daily need is simply God. And there is a difference there, and I hope and pray that you get it today. There is a difference between that. It's not the things that come from God. It's simply a close, loving relationship that we have with him and a trust that comes with that in knowing that he will take care of it. We are a culture of quick fixes. We like to find solutions that happen overnight. So for instance, you want to be a Hall of Fame baseball player, take steroids, quick fix, or an Olympian or whatever. If you want to look younger, go have the right surgery overnight. Or if you want to lose weight, take the magic pill or whatever it might be. We like quick fixes. But guess what? There's a reason why you're more mature at 45, 55, 65 than you were at 21 or 17. And the main way that happens is through experience, through facing challenges, seeing how God gets you through, or what to do, and it is over a long process that we mature. And that might be exactly what God is doing through your wilderness experience right now. That to give you a quick fix would not help you in the long term. So, He's allowing you to go through the hard work of the long process and daily promising you and giving you the manna of his word, the manna of his presence, and allowing the challenge to stay for a while so that you take this thing that he wants you to do, which is to come to him every day and forcing you to make it a habit that will never leave and that will continue for the rest of your life. To take his word like manna and to chew on it. Not just quick read it and put it aside, all right, mark that off my list. To chew on it. To spend time in it. To receive the blessings that God wants us to have through it. At the end of this section we read something that God wanted his people to do, verses 31 and 32. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was like white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. Hmm, I wonder why. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. 
it wasn't just that he wanted them to see it. It's that he wanted them to remember. To remember how he took care of them every single day when they thought there was no hope and he daily gave them that which they needed for the day. And that same manna, which was a reminder for the Israelites then and throughout the Old Testament, God has kept in his word as a reminder for you and me still today that God is a God who takes care of us every day and wants us to come to him every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word that was an encouragement to the Israelites 3,500 years ago and that same lesson you taught them, you have kept so that it might encourage Christians 3,500 years later. Lord, uh, we come to you today with a confession that we don't always react to hardships the way we should. We have this old sinful habit to grumble and complain against you. Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us through the blood of your son, Jesus. And then, Lord, help us to remember that we don't always know the things that you're up to, but maybe, just maybe, in this time, you are working in us a daily habit, just like you worked in the Israelites, to come to you every day to value that relationship that you've given us with you more than the things that you give to us. Lord, today we also come to you in prayer and we uh, thank you for uh, the Nexus teams and, and ask you to guide and bless them both with safe travels to Tennessee and back and also with a blessing upon the work that they're going to do there. Lord, we also keep in our prayers the uh, ministry at Sola Fide in uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. We ask you to continue to guide and bless their work there and to uh, give them the right uh, pastor, uh, the pastor that, that will be a blessing to them and to the, minist the gospel ministry you've given them to do. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, and continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Lord.